are listening to Space Time Mind, a podcast by two philosophy professors, Richard Brown and Pete Mandick, who talk about philosophy, science, and all sorts of other stuff. Please be advised that this podcast contains strong language and abstract ideas not suitable for all intelligent life forms. Are you paying attention? Somehow, do a Jedi mind meld. Hello, everybody. Space Time Mind. Pete and Richard once again. Ahoy. Are you still jet lagged from Taipei? <laughs> Very jet lagged, yeah. Uh, How long have you been back now? Um, well, we got back uh, like Wednesday early in the morning. Okay. So it's been like five days. And isn't isn't this the hardest direction to go in? Is it's the, difficult, yeah. And then with the baby too, the baby's very confused. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. So and then um, it's it just you know we're trying to get outside and have some sunlight and stuff, but still get, you, waking up early and going to bed very early and in yeah. between feeling kind of funky. <laughs> I had a the last time I was in Australia, I had this weird experience. It was like three or four days into a, a trip, like a seven or 10 day trip. And it was like two or three in the afternoon in Australia, but my brain just suddenly decided it was midnight. And I had this weird experience of, even though it was like very sunny, I was in this very sunny conference room with all these huge glass windows. Simultaneously, everything was black. It was so weird. It was like through <laughs> one eye, I could see just pitch black midnight because my brain was just uh -huh. deciding like it is night. And it was I didn't really have that. That sounds like a, a higher class of experience. Than it's like when Frodo sees to. the ring wraiths, man. <laughs> I was just like, wow. Ooh, this is scary. Am I going to faint? And then it went I away after 10 that. minutes. In fact, when we right when we landed, I went straight to a workshop on um, higher order theories and Buddhist philosophy. It was interesting. Oh yeah. Uh huh. But yeah, I, there were some moments where I felt weird and um and tired, and mostly it's just like you have to be on the schedule that the baby's on. That yeah. that was it. What was it for us? You know. Yeah. It, but we could throw him in the stroller and he would sleep. So. Right but on. ultimately, it was cool, and I didn't have any hallucinogenic experiences like that. Too bad, actually. Now that I'm thinking about it. The ring race thing was neat. Uh yeah, the eye of Sauron was upon me. I was thinking, have you watched it? There's this very terrible show on the Sci-Fi Channel called Dark Matter. Have you ever heard of it? I've never. It's no. really bad. I, uh, but in one of the episodes, they were talking about the traditional kind of um, teleporter situation, but they have it. They had a twist on it that I thought was interesting. So you you go into the teleporter and they do your DNA scan or whatever and transmit that through subspace or hyperspace. That goes to another place and they reassemble a new body there, a clone of you. That thing goes and does a bunch of stuff, but then it returns to the transmitter core to be recycled and to have all of its memories synced with your memories uh, so that you get the experience of doing all the stuff. But um, through the clone, 
um, who's really you and has all your memories and et cetera, or, you know, it's, um, it's a derivative of you. So, and then, but then if it works well, you don't get destroyed and you get the, the other thing does get destroyed. So the original you has the memories and they were, they were, they were uh, advertising this as a way of traveling. It was a way of you going, yeah. and, you know, to Mars or whatever, but right. I thought that. Like that total was, recall, you get the memories. You get the memories, but by someone actually doing them as opposed to total recall with the uh, implants. Right. So I thought that was a pretty cool twist. That is cool. for the for, for the clone, you know. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. There is a um, the rest of it sucks though. There's a mind uploading version of that in Charles Strauss and Cory Doctorow's uh, novel Rapture of the Nerds. Uh huh. It's a post singularity thing, and and people are uploaded to the cloud. And one thing a lot of people do was is they'll do these like experiments before you make a decision. Should I you know should I get chocolate ice cream or vanilla ice cream? You make um you make 100 Pete Mandic clones and make them choose vanilla and another 100 and make them choose chocolate. <laughs> and then you like run this super fast simulation yeah. and see what happens for 10 years of their life. And the ones that are happier, you, uh, you assimilate their experiences or whatever. Okay. And, then, and then the other ones, you just you don't assimilate their experiences. But all of them, you delete at the end of the uh, experiment. Wow. Yeah, Even that's though they, rough. Were, they were fully <laughs> conscious beings. Yeah, on the premise that they're fully conscious, that kind of stuff is, I think, terribly immoral. Yeah. Well, yes. Although there, there's another weird show that's out called Humans. Do you ever watch that show? Or heard of it? Have you heard of it? No. Well, AMC. I've heard of it. It's an AMC one. Some people have been saying good things about it. It's okay, except for... I haven't checked it out. You know, they... The the kind of uh, it's about artificial intelligence, but the kind of lame part of it is that they just introduce machine consciousness. Like the guy cracked the code and he wrote it down. It's like in a program, and so that's kind of lame. But you know, then after that, the actual issues that they're tackling are interesting. Um, one of the issues was about reproduction and whether they can make more of uh, machines like themselves. So that's one of the things in the code there's a recipe for making other artificial agents um, have consciousness, basically. So some are for it and some are against it. Like one of them is uh, making the argument that um, consciousness only brings pain and so we shouldn't give it to other artificial agents. <laughs> Antinatalism. Yeah, and then the other ones, some of them want to do it. So that part's interesting. It's called humans, right? Humans, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's an okay show. I mean, it's AMC, so it's done well, you know, for yeah. the most part. Yeah. Sorry. I was. Can I get a glass of water real fast? Is, is, yeah, that's is fine. Time to take a break. I just realized I left the water over here. That's fine. Yeah, we okay. can have we can have as many breaks as we want. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Hold on a second. Hi, everybody. Pete Mandic here. Before we get on with the episode, I wanted to take a moment to thank all of you who have supported us by rating us on iTunes and by leaving us suggestions at our webpage at spacetimemind.com. And also by liking us on Facebook and following us on Twitter at SpaceTimeMind99. I also want to let you know about a new way to support us, and that's by going to SpaceTimeMind.com contact and clicking on the little donate button at the bottom of the screen. Any little bit helps, and we need whatever we can get to keep on keeping on, and perhaps even to improve. Thanks again, everybody. Richard and I really appreciate all that the listeners have done for us so far, and we hope you continue to enjoy the show. I'm back. After you got up, I saw Frankie pop it, uh, her head up. 
Frankie's eyeballing the baby. You know, she wants to lick him in the face as much as possible, and we're yeah. like trying to prevent that. So yeah. she can she can lick his feet, and you know, we're let, letting them gradually get introduced or whatever. Yeah. But Frankie's like crazy. Plus, we've been gone for the two weeks, and Frankie was here. Um, we couldn't take her because uh, immigration and what they have right. to quarantine the animal for like yeah or whatever. So we had. Uh, someone watch her here at the house, but so Frankie's missed Ryland. I think <laughs> we're going to uh, Scotland. In, oh, uh, in October, and uh, we're going to try to bring the dog. Awesome. Okay, I'm going cool. to a pain. I'm going to talk about robot pain. Oh, that's cool. Uh, Jennifer Corn's thing. Yeah, very cool. Pain. Your, your little Templeton baby. Is it? A, is that a Templeton thing? <laughs> Uh, yeah. Very oh, no. I guess uh, Templeton is great. Yeah, you love him. I knew you would. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would go to Scotland and to a Templeton thing, too. I just think it's um, too good of an opportunity to pass up. That's how they get you on the dark side. Scotland is <laughs> one of the most beautiful parts of the world. Oh, my God. It's a life goal. I want to go there so bad. Yeah. I want to go to some uh, to Ardbeg distillery and yeah. the Lagavulin. I want to basically yeah. visit the space side. Yeah. Or the Islay malt. I want to go to the Islays. Whatever. Yeah, that stuff is great. But also, they have they have colors there I've never seen before. There's, yeah. Uh, there's a color in the sky that is kind of a purple, but it's not. It's and the it, Lucky Charms rainbow color. And then uh, they've got this grass, this like fluorescent green grass. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I've seen pictures, but the pictures wow. don't do it justice. I'm no. sure. No, that's awesome, dude. Congrats. Yeah, that'll be real fun. So anyway, man, phenomenal consciousness. Cool. <laughs> I dig it. <laughs> last we left off last time saying we would talk about your your paper that you presented in Taipei about phenomenal consciousness. Yeah. Wanna, uh there was a lot of cool stuff at that conference um in Taipei. There was three days of stuff going yeah. on. I'm up for anything. I love phenomenal consciousness. Actually, there was only two people who mentioned phenomenal consciousness, myself and Alex Byrne, everyone else. No one else really talked about it. <laughs> That's weird. Um, yeah, you might have thought it would have been something a lot of people were talking about, but it wasn't. Um, it also was interesting to me, Uriah very clearly sort of made it clear that um, he's not a higher thought theorist and also blamed Rosenthal for people thinking that he is. So he, he, when in some of the discussion that was going on during his session, it was very clear that we, he, he thinks the kind of self-representation, the inner awareness or whatever, that's makes him a kind of higher order person. Right. Um, and he does use representation and so forth, but it's not like a thought-like thing. It, it can be in things like us, I guess he thinks, I don't know, his view seems, it's not what I thought it was. Um, but yeah. it seems that when when he wants to talk about very simple creatures or stuff like that, that they have just a kind of primitive representation or awareness or something like that. I mean, I'm not really sure what, yeah. what the view turns out to be. But um, I thought that was very interesting. And yeah. then I was like, I came up to him. I was like, I thought you were a hired thought theorist this whole time. And he's like, yeah, that's because Rosenthal wrote a paper called The Intrinsicalists or whatever. And yeah. where he said Uriah is a hired thought theorist. Yeah, well... To defend Rosenthal a little bit, uh, you know, Uriah, there was uh, early presentations of his stuff alongside other things, and, and he talked about the this group of theories called monitoring theories, 
Yeah. And my recollection is what united the monitoring theories was their embracing of the transitivity principle that a conscious state is a conscious as a state you're conscious of. Uh-huh. And then he talked about ways in which you could cash out the the conscious of part. And, and so far, like, yeah, then the only difference is going to come really going to come down to whether the whether the thing in virtue of which you're conscious of is a thought or a perception or neither and merely just a, a representation. But at that point, like, yeah, really, I mean, well, there are different. I mean, the, yeah, there are different. That was part one of the themes that I was pushing towards in my talk is that uh, um, a lot people are really searching for other ways to implement the transitivity principle. I think for a long, for a long time, it was sort of, it was thought or perception. Right. Um, and because people like David said, those yeah. are the ways you're aware of things, <laughs> but right. uh, people have really, I think, for whatever reason, I mean, you know, if you don't like those kinds of views, that's fine. But I think right. that there has, as a matter of fact, been people looking for other ways, other awareness type relations yeah. that might do the work there. Uh, acquaintance is one that's popped up a lot, I think. And that's like Ben Tiley and people like uh, David Chalmers both think of uh, um, a kind of inner acquaintance view. So that's a kind of higher order view, but of a very weird and different sort than right. the kind that we would be familiar with. And then there's the attention people. I think the attention stuff um, right. is a way of saying, well, I'm aware of my mental states via attending to them. And I, I know we've talked about this, but I mean, in, in Lycan's recent paper um, that he co-wrote with one of his students, uh, Wesley Surratt, I think, or Surratt, on uh, one of those, um, where they, it's called A Farewell to Hop. <laughs> it came out in analysis in 2014. And they, bas they say explicitly, Attention is the method by which we become aware of our first order states. Um, and so they think that, uh, I mean, and Lycan has always sort of tended towards attention being the thing that was doing the monitoring or whatever. Yeah. But now he's convinced that the empirical work on attention shows it's not a monitor of any sort. So what they think is that it's kind of intentionally directed at the first order states, excuse me, it's um, not intentionally directed at the first order states, not via intentionality, but it is still nonetheless directed uh, towards the first order states. And that's yeah. how they think it's an awareness of. Now, I, what, I think that's interesting because then what you have are these various ways of saying what the inner awareness relationship is. And then you can run an argument and say, well, which one of them best captures right. or is able in principle to capture what's really going on here. And that's where I think intentionality is the thing to bet your money on and that's where higher order thought theories get their plausibility if any from is that w we can kind of make sense of the idea of an intentional state representing the things in question in the way that's uh that makes it appear to the agent that such and such is going on which could be all there is going on there so otherwise you end up saying well there's an awareness relationship that does it somehow but but we can't explain how yeah. And I think that's one of the things that obviously David has always pressed on is that the, it, the real battle comes with the explanation. Are you able to ex explain what's going yeah. on? Um, but of course, the other side says, well, that's not an explanation. <laughs> one thing I find appealing in this uh, neck of the woods, and, I, and I, I think I get this from Rosenthal. I mean, I think this is a Rosenthal kind of thing to say, is that you should go as far as you can with uh, folk theory. And yeah. you shouldn't. Um, abandon ordinary ways of, of talking or folk ways of talking until you really have to. 
So, right. so things like attention or declarative or working memory, these are, these are technical terms from technical fields, which is not to say that they're bad, but uh, you should really go as far as you can um, with just talking about folk, you know, folk theoretic ways of talking about the mind, like thought and perception. And things like right. acquaintance, bring that in when you really have to, but don't, don't just hit the ground running. I think attention that. is a folk theoretic. You don't think that it's part of the, folk, the way ordinary people talk when they that talk of attention being a resource, you pay attention. I mean, these, that's, yeah, there's a, there's a way there's of persistifying it. There's some of it. Cognitive-wise, but attention should be in there with sensation and perception as a folk concept. Um, I think, yes, we do talk about paying attention, attending, um, but whether attention is something that is neither perception nor thought, uh, wow, that's, holy moly, now you've gone into, well, whatever, you know, that's, you've left a pre-theoretic. Well, we have a different word for it. That's not sensation or thought, so it's not totally out of the realm that we, I mean, but, but if just st sticking with a kind of folk talk, if if I said, um, "Hey, uh, you know, I, I've noticed you've been paying attention to your phone," I'm trying to give a a lecture, dear student, and you've been paying attention to your phone. Um, yeah. You know, in in those kinds of cases, it's pretty clear that what what I'm saying is that they've been perceiving the phone. They're looking. They keep looking at their phone, and um, to try to get at uh, instead of overt attention, you know. Uh, where you can see someone pointing their head or their eyes. Um, with, with, that's kind of a recent thing that, that people have acknowledged. And by recent, I mean like, uh, you know, 1800s, late 1800s, early, uh, early 20th century, uh -huh. um, that there are the, can be these covert shifts of attention. And now it, it becomes interesting to try to say, you know, what the heck covert shift of attention is. And... Um, yeah, but I'm that's not. not part, I, I wouldn't say that that's part folk. of it. I mean, you're, I'm hearing that there are scientific discoveries about attention, but not that it's somehow beyond folk psychology to say attention is not sensation or perception. Um, it's it, that that it's neither sensation nor perception or thought. Yeah, I would say that that's beyond the folk. Yeah, that but it's, I'm not it's hearing. Very, I know you said that, but there's no nothing like an only argument very, which then proceeded afterwards. Part of, part back the argument <laughs> had to do with that it's only a recent thing. Uh, that anyone noticed that there there was such a thing as covert uh, shifts or changes. Yeah, so how is that an argument that it, the folk don't recognize if, on some level? If it was, if it was part of the folk, we would have been talking about it for thousands of years. That Well, yeah, covert attention. Well, right. that, but so what does that have to do with just attention, like as the folk think of it? Overt attention is pretty yeah. obviously perceptual. Whether, so It's pretty well, obviously not perceptual. It's pretty obviously something you can do to while you're perceiving, but it's not clearly the same thing as perception. It's not perceptual. I mean, why would like, so the folk would all nod in agreement with you right now? Uh, I'm that, pretty sure that if we, yeah, I mean, yeah, we could ask some people if whether attention is perceptual, you have, I mean, you can attend to things you're perceiving, but attention isn't a kind of perception. I think the folk, I mean, that's a bet I would be willing to take. Okay, well, I don't. Um, yeah. I, think I can see, but you haven't given an argument. I mean, <laughs> you said, oh, covert attention, and the folk don't know about that. But in, we the, use, we, in we, an ordinary case, for example, if it's clear that someone is, has been attending to their telephone instead of the lecturer, 
Yeah. What we're what we're talking about there is it, it has to do with what they've been perceiving. They've been perceiving the phone instead of the the lecturer. Uh, no, they've been focusing on the phone, attending to it. <laughs> Perception may play a role there because they're attending to the thing they're perceiving, but it's not. Cl- it's not just that they're perceiving the phone, which is what is going on when someone's attending to the phone. I mean, I, mean, I know, I, I'm pretty confident that regular persons would not accept that. That if, if they're, if they're, um, if they're But the difference the phone, isn't merely perceiving. Because you could perceive something inattentively, and that's an ordinary experience that one has. I mean, it depends on what you count as, if right. you mean by folk psychological, uh, you but ask just, a thousand people what's what are they most likely going to say? Then yeah. yeah. But look, I wasn't defending the view that the folk would acknowledge that um, attention is perceiving. I was defending well, the view that they that we wouldn't be part of the folk that per, that attention is neither perceiving nor thinking, or actually a slightly longer disjunction: neither yeah. perceiving nor sensation nor nor thinking. That it would be right. some fourth thing. Right. And, um, you, and then and, you said something about. And so if you that wasn't relevant to that, if you, if you, if you asked somebody, um, so in the case of, of the student attending to the phone and not the lecturer, yeah. tell me what that means without just repeating the word attention over again. Focus. Focus. Selecting. And, and focus is, is not just a direct synonym for attention. You said don't say the word. <laughs> you, there's, but, so I said, I didn't say the word. If I asked what focus is, you you get people to say what that is? Yeah, selecting. And it's not selecting in thought or selecting in sensation or selecting in perception. Selecting something from there, yeah. I mean, we're not talking about what's true. We're talking about what's commonsensical. Right. <laughs> what's commonsensical is that attention is a way of selecting things that are there. You focus on And that's, on them and and that's not what you're, you're, so what you're thinking about? Um. It could be a matter of what you're thinking about. It could be a matter of what you're perceiving. Those are theoretical claims. I said, we're not talking about the true nature of attention. You said, do the folk distinguish right. it from sensation and perception? And thought. And thought, right. exactly, right. So, so then asking me, oh, isn't no. that really a matter of thinking? That's, so okay, you're, ask, you're, ask a thousand people. So, so, we, ask, so we ask them, uh, so suppose, um, the student is attending to their phone and not the lecturer. Is it simply that they're perceiving the phone and not the lecturer? And and you you offered that they might say no. It's not simply uh, perceiving the phone. And along those lines, right, right to agree with you, uh, they might also say like, look, I'm perceiving I'm I'm perceiving the phone and the lecture. Of course, for sure. Yeah. Um, but I'm attending uh, to the phone and not the lecturer. Uh, yeah. What is so? Then I would ask, well, does that mean that you're thinking, even though you're perceiving both, you're thinking about the phone and not the lecturer. And you, you, you would have to be committed to them saying, uh, no, it's not, it's not that either. It's not that I'm thinking about the phone and not the lecturer. Right? Uh, wouldn't, you, it, wouldn't you have to, if, we're, if, if you and I are going to play a role fight, in it, but uh, it, they would have to say, yes, it's, it's that I'm focused on the phone and not the lecturer, even though my, you know. And the focus is is not simply that they're thinking about the one, and not the other. You would they would agree to that? Uh, they, they would, would yes, because they would have to agree to that you, if you're right. 
and I, I don't think that they would agree to that. I can, yeah, okay, so good. I already said it's not interesting until you actually go ask some people. I mean, I don't know why <laughs> you want me to. I'm, in, I'm a, in the armchair. I've got a chair. I don't care about that. I mean, I know the two I know options. Would I would have, if it's a claim about what people will say, that's that. That's a, that's a claim. I know my students. I know what they would say. All right. Okay. I, I know. They would what. say yes. <laughs> by the way, we just lost our one viewer. It's not, think, uh, by the way, it's, I mean, it's pretty, uh, uh, there was a viewer. That's the <laughs> they even sat through you getting a drink of water, but this is what, uh, I, I take full responsibility. Um, anyway, so you can think about things and um, they might not be there, so you're not attending to them. I don't know. So once you get into these fine-grained distinctions, that's, that's, that's difficult maybe, but uh, it doesn't follow. I mean, the question is simply whether they do, not whether they're consistent in this, whether they recognize a distinction between attending and thinking and perception. And cessation. Uh, sure. So it's, I think the perceptions involve sensations. Yeah, yeah. But do sensations involve perceptions? Uh, no, they need not. Okay, so there's a three-way distinction that's like part of old school Aristotelian folk psychology. Yeah. thought, perception, and sensation. And then you might wonder whether there's other things. So, for example, a lot of... Yes, well, Not all of it. <laughs> not all of it, but a lot of what uh, the Dennett-Rosenthal debate hinges on uh -huh. is whether you want to talk about consciousness in terms of thought versus talking about in terms of memory. Dennett likes to talk about it, things registering in memory. Uh -huh. um, and uh, Rosenthal, to my knowledge, doesn't really address memory. He, he insists on, on couching everything in terms of thought. And you might wonder there, in that case, is there really a distinction? Like would the, would the folk be committed to memory being something distinct from thought or, or thought not being a, a form of memory? So, for example, yeah, in, in like... I, mean, I think clearly, yes, <laughs> that memory is not a form of thought. Well, take, for example... Um, or it depends on the kind of memory, obviously. Well, take, take for example, um, you know, you have a sensation of my blue shirt. Yeah. And then you, and then you have a, uh, a state that's about that sensation. So let's suppose it's a higher order thought. Uh -huh. So you've got a higher order thought that's about that sensation. Now that higher order thought is something that comes after the sensation. And in, in being about that thing, um, it is about a thing in the past, in its past. And you might say, well, that sounds like a, a certain kind of memory. So some memories are like that. Some memories can have propositional contents like this, this thought. Part of what makes the thought a thought is that it has propositional content. Which one is the memory? The uh, the first order state? No, no, no. The higher order state is. I'm suggesting a memory of the first order state. Yeah, it's a it's a memory of the first order state. It's a kind of memory. It's the kind yeah. of memory that has part of what makes it a memory is it's about the past. It's about a thing that happened in the past. Yeah. And, and some memories have declarative or or propositional. Yeah, but memories usually say of the thing that it is past in some way. Like it feels like you're remembering it, not that like it's occurring. Do they always? Do they, uh, do they always have in their content that it's in the past? I yeah. I mean, if it's a memory. <laughs> so in the in the in the case, so for for Dennett, when he's talking about like the phi phenomenon or you know the the temporal illusions, I don't think uh -huh. he's committed to it. Um, th this so-called memory 
as as holding uh, as having the content that it was in the past. Yeah, I know. He's using it. I mean, I was talking about folk memory. He's talking about something else. Um, which is fine. I mean, you know, there's yeah. working he's, memory. He's talking about something else that might turn out to be a kind of thought. Yeah. But it's, I thought you were talking about the, like, would folk, would folk say something about memory involving it being some presented as though it were past? And I, that's what I was saying. Yeah. So the thing that Dennett is talking about, he can call that memory, but that's not what the folk mean when they talk about memory. That's fine. I mean, I don't think I would agree with that about the folk. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> okay. So um, if, if someone knows, so, so think about the kinds of uh, uh, memory that we would call semantic memory. The folk don't talk that way, but okay. No, but the, but the, but they would acknowledge that they they know that people know things like that the sky is blue or that Jupiter has a red spot, um, and they would acknowledge that those are things that they learned. They weren't born knowing. Yeah, but but that um, that state of knowledge is a sense of memory. It's in their it's in their memory, but it's not like about the past. It's kind of it's like yeah, Jupiter has a red spot. Well, when did you first learn that Jupiter has a red spot? I have no fucking idea. When did Jupiter? Well, you know, you didn't learn it just now, so you know it was that you can easily infer that. Was you, can, you can infer that it's in the past, I yeah. guess. But it yeah. doesn't seem like really. It's really in those cases of memory that it's not really about the. They don't have in their content that's in the past. Those might not be the kind, yeah, that's not exactly the kind of memory I had in mind, but, uh, and that, you know, I'm happy to take that, but it seems still closely associated with the idea that it happened in the past by this quick and easy inference. So to try to make this more general, part of what we're arguing about is how much you should give a shit about the folk. Yeah. And how much you should just say, let's go do, come up with a scientific theory. <clears throat> yeah, and no one cares about the folk, really, I mean... Well, what else are philosophers supposed to do? Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, philosophers do exactly. But I mean, so but the other people do. So whatever kind of attention you think is going on there, um, they still want to go so far as to claim that something like the transitivity principle is is folky, and then they want a a way of saying, well, what are the ways of aware? Okay, well now they're they're willing to go and say attention and whatever you say about that, and you know, uh, working memory and stuff like that. And uh, so they get a little more non-folksy there, but it's still within the realm of the same project. Yeah. Just, you want to go one step further and say, oh, well, the folk don't only talk about perception and, and thinking. And by the way, I don't think that it's really folksy to think that thinking makes you aware of things in the way that uh, higher order theorists talk about. I know people have claimed that, but I, I, I certainly find it very hard um, it, you have to do a lot of theory before yeah. it, it makes any sense at all to say that thinking of something as present makes you aware of it. And because a lot of people say, no, it doesn't make you aware of it at all. Yeah, but that's, you know, so that's, that's an interesting thing. And, and people will give you different answers depending on how you ask the question. So, yeah. so higher or thought people, they're, they're really, they're strongly committed to this view that um, if you're, if you're thinking about something, then you're aware of that thing. And I don't think that's right. I mean, I think the, David very carefully says that if you think of it as present, <laughs> then you are aware. He says, I mean, I'm pretty sure that his view is uh, that when you think of Napoleon, you're not aware of Napoleon. Interesting. Um, okay, so anyway. You, 
let me let me tell you an anecdote about uh, some people I was out to dinner with a couple of years ago. So okay. I've been asking around just straightforwardly, if you're thinking of a thing, uh, are you aware of that thing? And depending on who you ask and when you ask and what part of the meal it's in, they would give different answers. So I was out uh -huh. to dinner with uh, with Rachel <laughs> and uh, David Perplochik and his uh, spouse, Aoife Mooney. Uh -huh. And I said, if you're thinking about Africa, and aren't you guys thinking about Africa right now? We were in a Ethiopian restaurant sitting under a, a map of Africa. And I'm like, aren't you thinking about Australia right now? Because by the way, I just mentioned it. They said, yeah. I'm yeah. like, are you aware of Australia right now? And they said, yeah, no, no, yeah. And I, I'm like, well, what's your answer? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, that falsifies higher thought theory. Like, oh, fuck, wait a minute. Yes. Yes, you're aware of it. And the more I pushed them about that, the more firm that they were. And even Rachel, who doesn't really give a shit about this stuff, she was like, yeah, totally. You're, you're aware of Australia. And uh, yeah, See, I would say no. You're a, I mean, this is where the Dresky stuff gets, you could bring in. So Dresky, you're aware of the fact. Fact aware versus thing aware or whatever. So uh, when you, ha you could say you're aware of the, like, what, whatever you were thinking about Africa, that Africa is a continent or that Africa uh, is a place from which good food comes um, or whatever. You, you might be aware of those things, but not of Africa. I mean, that seems very weird. Single. That's why I think, I think David is right that the way, if it works at all, you have to think of this. So the kinds of examples that I would appeal to would be the kinds, um, suppose that you're walking to the bathroom in the middle of the night yeah, and it's dark, so you can't see. But then you know that there's a certain uh, corner, a, t a chair or whatever that is right there. And as you're walking, you suddenly think, watch out for that chair. That chair's there. <laughs> um, and that's a way of becoming aware of the chair, even though you haven't seen it, be uh, because you're having a thought about it being right there. So that's the kind of awareness of the, uh, uh, so, or another the example that David always gives is when the person's behind you and you don't see them, and but you suddenly think, oh, there's Pete's here. And then that thought makes you aware of Pete being there, but not in a visual, perceptual way, but in an intentional way. So, so those, uh, in the other cases though, where you're thinking just general intentional contents about whatever, blah, 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 um, I don't think that it's appropriate to say we're aware of those things in the right kind of way, and in the way that's relevant, at least for like, doing higher thought theory, or at least that's what I would say. And I think I'm pretty sure that's along the lines of something David would say, although who knows? I want to, I want to follow up on this cause I'm very interested in it, but we need to insert a little Mark for the okay. halfway, the half Do hour it. point. So Do it. Mm. Mark.
uh, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Ian Rosenthal. Yeah, well, that's what because this conference was in, in his honor, so it's. Well, I guess I'm going to be Rosenthal. All that stuff. Okay, yeah, you be Rosenthal. Um, Put your Rosenthal hat on again. Mm-hmm. I've got the big pointy Rosenthal hat. I know. Uh, so <laughs> I explained it to him that it was pointy. He's like, "Mandic, why is it like this?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, it's kind of a dunce cap." Oh, dunce man. caps come from Dun Scotus because uh, Dun Scotus did not believe in uh, emphasizing the classics or what would have been considered classics when he was when he had followers. And so people uh, that were pro-classicism uh, and anti-Dun Scotus, they would call all of uh, Dun Scotus and his followers, who, by the way, had pointy hats. He would call, they would call them dunces. And, uh, and uh, the word dunce came to mean someone who was generally uneducated. Interesting. Yeah, but it comes from Dun Scotus. <laughs> anyway... Um, so for, for Rosenthal, um, the consciousness that matters is this notional consciousness, and it's consistent with there not being the first order state. Uh-huh. So you, um, so I have a higher thought uh, as if there were a sensation of blueness. Uh-huh. And the higher thought is a, um, its content is a proposition. Yeah. That, uh, and it would be something like Pete Manick has a green sensation. Is that now? Are you saying that's supposed it to be? Pete Mandic's name wouldn't show up. It would literally just say, "I have the green sensation." I have the green sensation. But then, if you were asked, but, <laughs> "Who who who has it?" You would say, "Me, Pete Mandic." <laughs> yeah, but now is it supposed to be a thing awareness, or is it supposed to be a, a fact awareness? Uh, for Rosenthal. Yeah, I mean, or, if or, you had, I mean, I per, it, I, I, way I understand sure. him. It would have to be fact awareness. Or oh, thing okay. awareness, or he's going to say that it's, it's uh, thing awareness, fact awareness. The distinction doesn't really hold up because the way you're aware, you know. Right. But I would. I've always thought of the fact of thing awareness as being the the mental qualities. Um, if you if you were going to buy into thing awareness, the things yeah. would have to be the mental qualities. That's what I. Yeah. How, how I would have. If you can have this, even though there aren't those things. Um, yeah. Well, so this is so that's why I've always thought Dretzky at some point is turns into a higher order theorist of some sort. Although he's, you know, he's he clearly doesn't want to be one. Yeah. Um, but he, the fact awareness, like when you talk about, so when you talk about uh, change blindness, and Dretzky talks about that a lot. Um, he wants to. So his example is your dinner party example, and there's Clyde. Clyde's the person who you don't consciously, or you're not aware of, was uh, not wasn't there a moment ago, but is there now or whatever. So there's Clyde. And then the question is, are you aware of Clyde consciously? And he says, if the answer is yes, then that means the higher thought theory is false because you don't, you're not uh, fact aware. And so he was clearly, in Dresky's own mind, I think, identifying fact awareness with the kind of thing that Rosenthal was talking about. Yeah. So you're not aware of the fact that Clyde is the thing that differs. So therefore, you're... Um, had, uh, which distinguishes the two cases. That was kind of a rough and ready paraphrase of Dretzky. One way of reading Dretzky, maybe. You, you broke up there. I, I, your, your last sentence, we lost the first half of. Oh, I was saying um, that's kind of... Uh, so the idea was that uh, you don't have a thought, according to Dretzky, that Clyde is, the, is different, is there or not there. So you have the conscious experience, but without the thoughts. That's a rough and ready way of boiling down Dretzky's yeah. argument, quote-unquote, against higher thought theory. And of course, we—that's of course exactly what the higher theorist is supposed to say. <laughs> um, 
but I've always, so to me, it seems that yes, depending on, so the, the, the representation that's up there is going to represent a certain set of first order states as being the ones that are present. Um, I'm in these states and it represents them. So, uh, in, describes them because um, that's what it is. It's a description of what the of the qualitative properties and mental attitudes and whatever else is going on at the first order level. The higher order state is a description of that, which uh, then accounts for why it is that that is the way things appear to you. Okay, so that's fine. Um, but when you say which states are you aware of, like what is it that you're consciously experiencing? Well, that's whatever states are being described. Those are, according to Rosenthal, they're states that are conscious. They're the ones you're aware of. Um, the ones that are correctly described by the higher order content. And um, so you are consciously experiencing Clyde if he's in the content of the higher order states. Yeah. Uh, but you don't have to experience him as the thing that's different from the previous experience in order to have a conscious experience of him. Yeah. Which is exactly what Dretzky's point was. And that's exactly what the higher order theorists say. It's just that Dresky isn't really, I think, on you know paying serious attention to what it would mean to be a higher order theorist of the kind that David was at the time, and still is actually, or whatever. Um, but ultimately, if you want to, if you push Dresky on what it is that makes a state conscious, it's tied to being able to have it as a reason, and having it as a reason is tied to it being globally available for behavior and blah blah blah, um, which is roughly saying. Well, you're aware of it in some sense. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think that's fair. Yeah, well, why isn't that fair? In some sense. Yeah. What do you, what do you sneak it in there? Well, that, uh, if it's globally available, then the system is aware of it in some sense. It's there to be used. But, that, but it might not be um, actually thought about. Well, that's, I didn't say he's a higher order thought theorist. I said he's a higher order theorist of some sort. Oh. Um. Just, uh, 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 but this, yeah. you know, I mean, maybe, right, yeah, I mean, right. So, uh, what's his name? Uh, Van Gulick, Van Gulick, yeah, uh -huh. higher order global states. He yeah. calls himself a higher order theorist, but he is. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think he is because, yeah, but why not? I mean, he, is, he accepts the transitivity principle, and then he says that the way you become aware of these conscious states is by them being integrated into this global globally broadcast network or whatever. And so you're aware of those states in virtue of that. And that's what's higher order about that. So here's a way of thinking well, about the thing that. that's higher order is transitivity principle. Um, so Uriah would sweep it, swoop in here and be really pissed because now he is a higher thought theorist after all. No, but, he's just a higher order theorist of some sort, not a higher order thought theorist. Uh, oh, he doesn't mind the higher order part. Yeah, of course not. He knows he's higher order. He just doesn't think. Oh, it's I thought that's part of what he's his beef is. Oh no no no. His beef is that it's intentionality, which is uh, in, in doing the work. That's his beef. Well, let me let me make my point about order and see how this shakes out. So one way of thinking about order, like what does it mean for something to be first order versus second order versus third order? Um, the way I cash it out is in terms of uh, of aboutness. So. Yeah. Um, Something is zero order if it's you know not a mental state at all. Um, a first order uh, state is something that is about or of um, something that's zero order. Something is second order if it's about or of something that's first order. 
Yeah. Um, now that ofness, put, putting it in terms of of instead of about, that creates wiggle room for what you think about sensations. You might think a sensation of red is not about red. So how how is hogs or this higher global state stuff is how is that order higher order in this sense? Because the, the global state is about the first order states. But, but we've, so we've got a disposition not, to, to access. You've got one state that has the dispositional property of it being accessible, yeah, or might have the actualizing state of being accessed. Either way, how does that give you a higher order aboutness or a higher order state that's that's about the first order state? What's the higher order state? The whole the global state. And it and it's about the first order state merely because it's there. It's it's incorporated like in the right way. Yeah. So it's not just merely there. It's uh, available to these systems to be accessed or is accessed or is integrated in the right way. It's poised. There's a lot of ways of cashing it out, but the I basic see, idea. I don't see how that's aboutness. Well, it's not intentionality. <laughs> it's a different way of being about something. <laughs> But how? I mean, how is that a different way of being about something aside from like mere fiat that Van Gulik is just asserting here's a way of being about something? Like, what would be an example of which in which we would say, oh, yeah, right, that's that's a that's some kind of aboutness, even though it's not intentionality? Uh, well, I mean, the, the lichen example they like to give is, um, well, it's not a like, so they don't want to use aboutness. They want to get rid of that. They don't think it's the of of, of aboutness. Or intentionality in the aware of, but they think it's directedness that they'll be a way of being directed at the thing in a way that's not intentional. So their I um, their main ex not main example, but one of the examples they discuss is like a funnel, so that a funnel is uh, directs water into a certain way, <laughs> but not in an intentional way. So that's uh, and it's not you. They wouldn't want to say the funnel is about the water's direction or anything like that, but it's a way of being directed at it. Are funnels okay. higher order? Um, the funnels are higher order and like the... Well, in one sense, that's what attention does. I mean, one kind of uh, the, you know, the spotlight model of attention or whatever is a kind of views it as a funnel for information. But, um, yeah, and I mean, so in that sense, that's what they're trying to connect is this idea of being directed or uh, aware of something, but not in an intentional way. So, but they admit that you need to do some work to cast these out. And I have already said, this is where you can get an argument that intentionality maybe is the, the thing that is best at doing this, but I don't think it's fair to say, oh, well, we don't you know, know what they're talking about or, or something like that. There, there are different ways of being directed at things. Some of them are intentional, some of them aren't. Uh, well, the my complaint um, is something like, look, here's this technical kind of term, which is higher order, and yeah. I wanna know what the heck that means. And if you throw another technical term at me, like directness, sort of directed towards, we're not really making any progress now because um, because it, it, it being technical I still don't know what it means in, in order for you to tell me what it means you're gonna need to relate it to something non-technical yeah. one way of doing that and they did maybe not the only way but one way of doing that is uh, the way that I was describing in terms of uh, or ranks of order in terms of aboutness yeah the, uh, aboutness is intentional that would be one way of doing it because we've we've got a a folk theoretic or non uh, technical way of of thinking about thinking, 
So yeah, but there's this non-technical way of thinking about funnels, and you can also think about it in terms of containment. We know what it is for one box to be inside of another box. But so there's a model of being higher order. The the outside box is higher order. There, I mean, there are different ways of doing it. It is the question is what's the best theory of the awareness involved here? But if is I it, think the brain is inside the skull, I have a higher order theory. No, but you have something which you can. Uh, use as an analogy for a higher order theory. Uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> I want to know what they mean by higher order because, uh, you know, here's an example of a higher order theory. It's uh, the higher thought th theory. And they're like, well, we don't like the higher order thought theory, but we're still higher order theorists. And then yeah. they start talking about containment. The reason right. they're higher order theory is because. So that would be like Sam Coleman's higher order quotation view. That's his view is that. Uh, um, you have a the first order state is contained in the higher order state, and that's a way of it being. A, uh, he thinks a, a way of it being um, represented, but not in an intentional way. Well, that's so, better. That I mean, that's better than the global accessibility thing, at, at least because it's, it's recognizably uh, representational. When we when we talk about quotation in in uh, text and speech, it seems pretty clear that you know, for example, if I take. If I take uh, the sentence, Pete has a blue shirt, yeah. throw quote marks around that. Now I've created a noun or a referring term that yeah. represents um, the utterance or inscription, Pete has a, a blue shirt. So that that's recognizable as higher yeah. order. That could be plugged into this schema exactly. that so I sketched the other out. thing, I mean. <laughs> I don't, no, the thing about the funnel, I mean, I know you're not endorsing it. You're endorsing it on someone else's behalf. Yeah, it, it I'm saying it's not silly to endorse it. Okay, I think it's kind of silly. It's not that it's not silly at all. And but the other global thing is not silly either. I mean, that, a common sense analogy for that is simply what's in my visual field right now. Um, there are a bunch of things over here which I feel like I could grab if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And the reason I feel that way is because I'm aware of them in some sense. So their being accessible yeah. to me is seems to be to be a function of my being aware of them to some degree or other. I don't have a problem so, with that. Because that we kind of so that is an analogy from which you could then try to extend the availability stuff that you were boohooing earlier. I'm not that seeing it the to be available to the sit to be why you connect awareness and availability is because of this kind of more primitive thing which is available to us in our phenomenology. And so, if you're looking for an explanation of how you're aware of these things in a sense that's um, non-intentional, why is why isn't that a good answer? It, I like I like the part about the visual field. Because yeah. I think that in, in the case of the visual field, you've got sensations that are of, you've got sensations of blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, uh, when we're talking about my visual field, I, I am perceiving the voice of uh, the baby, and I'm, I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking about your beard. Um, so, so that could be plugged into the the order schema because we've got upness right. and aboutness. So that, right. That's a, a pretty clear case. But now, how does but that's, I don't see how that helps uh, the claim that global availability would be a way of implementing the transitivity principle. Uh -huh. Because there are some things of which I'm aware, but not focused on at the moment, that seem accessible to me. That like I could reach over and grab them. In fact, here, this thing, <laughs> that thing was over there. Yeah. I was aware of it. I mean, you can't reach and grab for something of which you are in no way aware. But the question that I think we're arguing about is whether global accessibility would be a way of being aware of something. 
Yes. So it's I so, was suggesting an analogy which makes clear what what that means or should help clarifying what that means. That there are that being having them accessible entails in some sense that you're aware of the things. Otherwise they wouldn't be accessible. So there must be some awareness relation there. Uh, otherwise they couldn't, how could you reach over and grab the thing if you weren't aware of it? So the fact that you're, that it's something available to be grabbed indicates that it's something of which you're aware to some degree. I mean, you're not focused on it. It's merely there waiting, but in a way that things behind my head aren't like, I mean, uh, it's not, uh, but I guess part of what's making this analogy difficult is that um, in in the case of the visual field, you you have you have all these other things that seem to be clearly implementing the awareness relation. You've got sensations uh, and or thoughts and or perceptions. Those are the yeah. things that are implementing the the awareness. You're you're in, in virtue of what are you aware of your um, TV? Are you in a room with the television? Yeah. Yeah. In virtue of what are you aware of it? Is it is it merely that it's available? In virtue of the sensations being available. <laughs> in virtue of the sensations being Or the thing itself being available, yeah. That Why isn't it just in virtue of the sensations themselves? That's a kind of awareness of it. Or in virtue of the, the thoughts or perceptions of it. Um, because we can have those without the awareness? Hmm. Well, I'm stuck. Okay. <laughs> But anyway, you don't like global <laughs> global availability anyway. You just don't. Yeah, I, yes, I do. I why? What do you mean? I like it just fine. I thought we were fighting about whether it's silly, not whether it was true. Um, but you think it's true? I think it's not knowable that it's false. Oh man, I thought uh, we agreed that what... knowledge was poo poo. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Mind.